0: Are you seeing you had had, had like Vandal kids that went out and just tore up your field?
1: Yeah, I I think there was Mason
0: kids. Yeah, right. You know what? I'm surprised that you let that go. I I mean, I'm surprised you didn't administer a little country justice on that.
1: All right, so we're talking about tire pressure. I'm better off if I don't catch them on that.
2: Welcome to Extreme Ag's Cutting the Curve podcast, where you get a guaranteed return on investment of your time as we cut your learning curve with the information you can apply to your farming operation immediately. Extreme Ag, we've already made the mistakes, so you don't have to. Managing your farm's water resources is a critical component to a successful and sustainable farming operation. Advanced Drainage Systems helps farmers just like you increase their yields up to 30% with their technologically advanced water management products. Visit ADSPipe.com to see how they can keep your business flowing. Now, here's your host, Damian Mason.
0: Hey friends, welcome to another fantastic episode of Extreme Acts Cutting the Curve. We've got a good topic for you today that I think impacts probably a lot of farm operations. In fact, there's probably a lot of farm operations that are impacted by this, that actually don't address it or don't know for sure how to address it. We're talking about soil compaction. You know, soil is the most valuable asset in your operation. I mean, these land values have gone up like 30%, depending on where you are geographically, year over year. Farm ground's worth a lot of money. It's the base of your entire operation. You have to have the farm ground to go out and produce the crops. It's a very important thing. And we talked a lot in different episodes of Cutting the Curve, as well as through Extreme Ag's platform about soil health. Soil health. It's become a bigger topic, as it should. So we drive over it a lot with these great big machines. You know, combine weighs like 20 tons. Um, I got my, my ground is rented to a dairy operation. They're going out there with silage wagons, you know, si- semis. They're filled with you know, 80,000 pounds of silage. It's, it's a lot of weight. So you got a lot of pressure on that ground. We're compacting it with large equipment. We also are seeing the uh, impact of all this. So we're talking about the cost of compaction and how to avoid it. Kevin Matthews, one of the original founders of Extreme Ag, is here to talk about how he handles and mitigates and or avoids soil compaction in North Carolina at his farming operation. Mr. Matthews, thanks for being here. Yes, sir. Soil compaction. I gave you the intro. Give me your, uh, your intro on soil compaction.
1: Well, the big, you know, the biggest thing is we need to look at our equipment and, uh, the size of our operations. Damien, it's not been that many years ago. Um, and I know I'm getting on the older side now, I'll be 50 this year compared to, it seems like the other day I was just starting at 20, but, um, so we were running forty twenties, and a big tractor was a forty-six forty or sixty thirty or something. So we're we're talking tractor wise, you know, twenty-four thousand pound tractor, weighted up. You know, we're gonna put all that horsepower to the ground.
0: Yeah, so a forty twenty with duals on it and wheel weights, and then uh, six hundred pounds hanging off the front of it to balance it. Was a big you machine.
1: Might, you might be 12,000 pounds.
0: Yeah, and that year. was a and that was a big machine 50 years ago when you and I were kids or, or whatnot, born. Um now, now we're talking about these machines that obviously you
1: go to the I'm farm gonna, property. 40 show plus you thousand. To. Yeah, 40 plus thousand pounds. And yeah. I mean they do tremendous workloads, but then the, the implements we're pulling with them are so much heavier. You know, for years our silage guys you know, they was but when they went to self-propelled choppers, you know, the trucks driving through the fields. The good thing was it was a drier time of the year, so the ground wasn't as wet, and you, you had a little more forgiveness in your compaction. But the silage guys has always fought it. And, and in our area, they've done a phenomenal job with cover crops and uh, different methods to, of conservation to help mitigate that compaction, and they're staying out of them fields when they're wet when they can So that's a big deal, but on the row crop side, on the grain farming side, like we guys are doing, we're harvesting that grain with those big combines. Well, our 7720s that we used to use in 6600s and 4400s, I mean, you know, the whole combine wasn't much over 20, 25,000 pounds, you know, even with a grain tank full. And lo and behold, you know, we was running straight trucks hauling grain away from the field, you know, haul 300 plus bushels, 330 bushels on the truck. Then we went to tandems hauling 500, 600 bushels, and then now tractor trailers. Well, these combines that we run now, these class eights, you know, they're 400 bushels. I can't even, I mean, a, ta- a straight truck won't even. How oh, being a corn off or being a soybean. So- yeah. I
0: mean, I, just what you're thinking about right there. And I know we sound a little bit like old timers talking history, but what we're really getting at is equipment's gotten bigger and, and it's because first off efficiency and then the faster you can get stuff planted, the faster you can get stuff harvested, the better, especially in your climatological zone. You always talk about getting stuff harvested before the hurricane season comes, because then it's a, a wipe out of your crop. The grain tank in your combine, is more than the Parker brand gravity wagons that we had on the farm 50 years ago. You know, it was what, hundred 125 bushel uh, with the sideboards gravity wagon. That's not even one grain tank in your combine. So the weight just in your grain, <laughs> in your hopper. When you're, you're older than, days, than
1: 250 bushels, is where we were. So I was a little, I'm a little younger than you
0: are. You know? Yeah, right. So the point is, point is just the grain, just the grain hopper in your combine alone is what we used to have in a in a in a wagon, and not to mention all the other weight. So equipment's huge and weighs a lot. Can't get away yes. from that until we eventually we can. I'll get to that in a little bit. What are the other reasons that we're compacting it? Are we getting on it when we shouldn't? That's usually one of the biggest sins. Uh the yeah, clock. The count. The, Calendar says you should be in the field. And even though the conditions are terrible, these farm guys say,
1: damn it, I gotta be out there, and they push it. Is that the problem? Well, you'll see more of that on the harvest side because you got to get that crop out for winters or bad weather sets in. So yeah, you're going you're gonna push it on that. And it's it's every little thing that contributes to it. The the good things, you know, is we've got a lot of options with tire sizes that we did not have. We got tracks now that we can use. But the bad side of that tire option is we don't, we're so bad not to really focus on the tire pressures that we have on these machines, whether it's our planting tractor our sprayers our, our combines or auger carts, that tire pressure is a big deal on mitigating that heavy weight of that machine. So we've got, to, we've got to remember that that's just as important as getting that planter set up to do that perfect stand in the spring. Yeah, so that's one that nobody that, ever
0: man. that's one that nobody ever thinks about. Basically what you're saying is we can we can take those pounds and spread them out a little bit just by backing 20 pounds of pressure off a tire or something like that, and then making that tire wider and thicker, right?
1: Yeah, well you you know a lot of people think wider. It's not gonna get no wider. You wanna make the track longer and and that's good that you brought that up because a lot of people are worried that when they drop that air pressure, that it's gonna squat that sidewall down and cause more stubble damage. And, and it can, but these tires are built a little better. Um, I know I was looking at uh, some of the companies that we we work with with Extreme Ag, how they're changing the design of that uh, that footprint so that they got a little bit of a roll on them and it rolls that stubble to the side so it don't come up and catch that sidewall as bad. They got different designs in them now to keep the, the uh, mud and, and uh, residue from sticking in between the cleats. They're, they're made to clean out more. And after meeting with these people, I, it, the design, I seen it there, I thought it was a neat pattern, neat design, but I really didn't know the purpose of it. But there's a lot of purpose there. And a lot of these companies now offer, and and it is not taken advantage of, but they will bring scales out and scale your machines and tell you what kind of, what air pressure needs to be in each tire. That is a big deal. Uh, That is, and most of them don't charge for that if it's their brand tire. Some of them do, but it's still well worth it. Saves on fuel, tremendous savings on compaction, because it's all about the pounds per square inch. That's what we're looking at so
0: honestly i don't know of anybody and i've you know running helping the neighbors whatever i don't know anybody that actually goes about changing their tire pressure based on the task they're going to do from planting to tillage to harvest i don't know anybody really does that do you think that's something that anybody
1: does yes yes i think it's getting more widespread and more well known uh, as the words getting out there but we do it um you know, when we go from a planting tractor to a auger cart tractor or we put a three-point hitch H&M implement on uh, there's times we'll change the rear tire pressure as much as 10, 12 pounds. And uh, that's a big deal on on the compaction and how it sets down and how that tire performs. And, the, uh, and you can see it. I mean, our technology is so good now, you know, these different harvest recording sources different uh, software programs that's used on the farms you can sit there and pick out traffic patterns and especially in the spring when you're planting I mean that applied downforce map it I'll never forget I had a, some kids wanted to drive through my field and get it wet and mess things up a little bit and when we planted that field it showed this the figure eight that they cut out in the field into the applied downforce so it's um it's it's there it's real
0: right okay tire pressure is a biggie and i think that that's something everybody knows and you just pointed out that a lot of the tire companies will actually help you on that by the way isn't equipment now to the point where can you inflate while you're just in the machine or you still have to take it up to the shop and use the air compressor
1: most of the u.s equipment you still have to take to the shop or our service trucks has got air compressors on but a lot of the european stuff that's a big deal they do over there they they uh I know Fent is working. They've got tractors like that. Their are momentum planner, It does that. Uh, when you fold it out and go into the plant position, it deflates the tires. And when you fold it up into the road position or highway, I think they call it, it, um, it inflates the tires due to the right. speed. Right. Um, I think we're going to see more and more of that, uh, as the tire companies compete with the track companies and, um, the trouble we did run a track machine is phenomenal in the field. The only problem we rode so much with our small fields and spread out that it was more and more rough ride. It, it just did not, it, it was not a pleasant experience for us out on the road. In the field, it was great. I never had a flat tire with it, though. I did like that part. I didn't have yeah, any so- trouble or nothing.
0: I, I think the tracks look cool. Uh, I, I think that you could, you could get a little of a skid steer effect, uh, on the ends. If you're uh jockeying around and turning and tearing up stuff, but yeah. I can see where there'd be a problem going down the road. Okay. These are things that cause compaction, the not having tires, correct, the size of the equipment. Let's talk about conditions. Um, your theory on avoiding compaction based on conditions, I know that there's a thing, uh, the farmer mentality is such that the sun's out and the calendar says April is time to go. And sometimes that ain't the right thing to do. So what's your tips on avoiding compaction based on conditions?
1: Well, you, you got to do what works for your situation. Uh, I can't sit here and tell the man, you know, an area I've never farmed, soil tops I've never farmed, what's the, what he's doing right or wrong. He's probably doing a whole lot more right than he is wrong but it's the little things that's what can make a big difference. For us in our area, the biggest thing is we want to make sure when it's really wet to try to stay off that land at all possible. Now I will tell you, when you get crunch time, you may push it a little bit and eventually it can hurt you. we got some soils down in uh, Davie County, the county south of me here that we farm in. You absolutely do not get on that soil if it's ever bit wet. It will bite you and it will stay with you till the next year, if not longer. Mm-hmm. So you you gotta know your soils. You gotta know which ones are forgiven, which ones aren't. Another thing, Damien, is like when we're planting, let's say you're down to that last pass and you got one pass and you're gonna be at the other end of the field from where you're gonna exit the field at. We will we drive down with the planter up. And then we plant our way out. We don't never want to plant to the end and then drive back across where we planted. And we will eliminate that every way possible. Sometimes you get in a situation you ain't got no choice.
2: Now,
0: so you avoid you avoid you avoid driving over anything that's been planted. Uh, but that's still, you've already been over it once, and so you still do have the issue. But going back to conditions, yep, that conditions uh, you know. Some, sometimes the clock, the calendar is up against you, and you're like, I don't really want to have to go out there and mud this in, but I, I, it's usually a bad idea. And now that we can do crop insurance and prevent planting, isn't it still better for the long term healthier soil to not force it
1: versus forcing it? Well, I'm not. I we we have crop insurance as a necessary evil. My goal is to pay premiums and never ever need that crop insurance.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I just, I, that's Using a crop insurance claim is a nightmare to me. Um, so prevent planting, you can't, in our area, you are not going to make it on prevent plant. It ain't going to happen. Now, other areas of the U.S. prevent planting is more attractive, but here on the East Coast, no, nah, it, it it's a useless part. Um, so, so, so rather than holding
0: back and saying, I'll just take prevent plant, you would say, I'd rather force it into less than ideal conditions on my soil versus take prevent plant.
1: I would rather wait and go past the plant date and take a lower guarantee on my insurance okay. and plant it right. Yeah. Than to take and mud it in or say, well, we're past the cutoff date, I'm done. I'm gonna just take prevent planting. We have had to take prevent planting on some wheat uh acres in the past where it only one time in my life, have I've seen it, it got so wet, you could not get in the field. And so we didn't. I mean, we we just said, no, nah, we're not going to do it. So, Damon, yeah, you. every area is different, but we're in a positive basis area on prices. So uh, the crop insurance price is always going to be a loss for us versus what our market is. Um,
0: All right, so conditions... You're you you can not say that anybody's doing anything wrong, but we both know that it doesn't it, it doesn't just last that one year. If you get out <laughs> there and you mistreat your soil and you're you're going over with heavy equipment in bad conditions, it sticks around for a couple of years, right?
1: Yeah, but I mean, yeah, it does. But what you don't realize, Damien, is say good conditions. Let's say we're harvesting corn in the fall or harvesting soybeans, and those grain carts are running. We try to run the same tracks with a grain cart. So they'll, they'll go across and get on one run and run back and forth in that area. And some of our small fields, it ain't no big deal because the fields are small. You just, you just get the grain, combine empty and do the best you can. But those areas that we load trucks in, we actually will take a, a DMI no-till ripper and go in and rip that every couple of years because it packs the ground down so bad that you cannot grow a crop to amount to anything it'll be a huge yield lag right there and as you say it lasts a long time
0: right hey we're talking about the cost of compaction how to avoid it all right um the cost the cost like we just said sometimes these the damage to the soil lasts multiple seasons but also let's talk about yield reduction when can you tell me uh and in, in experiences either anecdotally or even that you've punched it and put a pen and paper to it the cost of of going into ground, maybe you took on new fields and you're like, I'm gonna start farming this. And uh, the guy before me packed the hell out of it. You got any experience, you got any, uh, any numbers, any uh, stories about the cost of compacted soils?
1: Well, I mean, it's, in, in our soils, it, on our upland, it can be a zero. I mean, it, you get where you've been loading trucks with those uh, grain carts, I mean, we got a 1,000 bushel cart, uh, 900 and 800 bushel cart. And you get them carts out there, and I'm telling you, it, if it's a little bit damp, and even if it's good and dry during harvest, it packs the full out of them. So we try to immediately get a crop growing right behind it, whether it's uh, barley for a cover crop or wheat. And if we can keep something growing on that soil, it can mitigate a lot of that problems. But then lots of times we have to put that ripper in there. that I spoke about earlier and go in there and rip that. And then we'll run the vertical tillage and sow some cover crops on it immediately. We don't want to leave that ground bare.
0: So that's a big, that's a big right there. Cause that's about soil health and not just compaction. So the way this all started, we should tell our listener, the way this all started was a tech stream between you and me and the rest of the extreme ag gang. And I talked about, uh, excessive tillage damaging soil, uh, structure. And then of course, As you are akin to do, you disagree with me, which I actually liked. But then you told me that uh, there's a need for tillage. And I said, I don't disagree. So let's talk about when you have to. We all know a 900 bushel grain cart, even though you got them big floater tires, you can't possibly dissipate that much weight. It don't matter how big your tire. They don't make a tire big enough to dissipate that amount of pounds, right? I I agree. I mean. Okay. So you got all that weight. And then you're especially in one area where your semis are being loaded. You're talking about a lot of pounds, a lot of pounds, a lot of pounds on that one area. So you would always go in and rip it in that area? Or do you sometimes say, no, it's packed. But if we just get something growing on it, it'll start breaking that up. What's your theory on that?
1: We watch it. We watch the ground. There's, there's some areas that I squinty, I believe you, you rip every year, and it just like the soil goes right back to cement, and it's red clay. Our, and then our river bottoms, we got uh, certain areas, uh, one farm in particular, that we load a tremendous amount of corn in one area, and we're gonna rip it every year. I mean, it's, it's about a two acre area, we'll rip that part of the field. Rarely do we rip the whole entire fields anywhere. Um, we do have some flood issues where the flood lands, you know, when the river gets out, that water, so heavy it'll pack some of them soils and we have to run the ripper through that.
0: Kevin, so, wasn't it standard practice, maybe not everywhere, but wasn't it kind of standard practice in a lot of the areas that once the deep V ripper or whatever we call them came out, what are we talking, 20 years ago or so they became the thing? That oh, that's 30 30 years ago. 30 years ago they came out. It wasn't it kind of standard <laughs> practice where a lot of guys just ripped every acre? They just thought that's the thing to do, go out and heave that stuff up. Wasn't that the kind of a, a thing for a while?
1: Yeah, and but you gotta remember though, we was in a tillage environment then we didn't have, you know, our herbicide program was our iron. So we we had to till when you wanted it so you could have a really good fertile seed bed in the spring. And As much loose ground, and the theory on it was, if we rip it, we'll get more water down in there, so the crops in the spring, the roots can go deeper into the ground. That's still the case today, by all means. But our no-till, these big crops that we grow now—you know—we raise the corn yields. The root—we're getting a lot better root masses on some of these hybrids. And when that plant dies. You got all the capillaries from the roots, and that just helps with tillage. So, if you can get good crops growing and keep good crops growing, that will mitigate a lot of your compaction because you got so many pore spaces with your roots in the ground. Uh, That's one thing that shines with our SDI on our Netafin subsurface drip irrigation. The beauty of it. Our biggest worry when we started it was, well, we are not going to be able to rip this land if we put these drip takes in at 10 inches, 9, 10 inches. But our crops are so big on it. You know, you start pulling 300 bushel corn, 350 to 100 plus bushel soybeans every year. Then you got a barley cover crop growing on it. You got something growing all the time on it. The root structure in the ground and the organic matter, I mean, we've increased our organic matter 2% since we've been with a consistent no-till on this uh, subsurface drip irrigated ground, and there's no need for a ripper on it. Now, if we start loading trucks and doing stupid stuff on it and packing it down, we're going to be in trouble. We're well, let's sponsor. just face
0: it right there. Subsurface drip irrigation, Netafim is one of our sponsors. We've done stuff at your farm. I was there at your field day last summer with uh, the guys, Mr. Wolf and the other guys from Netafim, and we talked about it. You can't go out there and rip it because that stuff's only 12 inches down. You go you go through the ripper, you just ripped out $1,000 worth of infrastructure per acre, right?
1: Oh, uh, If not more, yeah, yeah, yeah it'd, be, it'd be bad. I, I know one one farmer that uh, one of his hired hands went in and ripped up about twenty acres of, of drip irrigation, and it was uh, it's still not back in drip to this day. It was a bad deal.
0: Okay, so when you use drip irrigation, you're obviously not going to use deep ripping, and then you assume that uh, the the cover crops that you're putting on in those acres, the roots go down, create porosity, and and, and penetrate. Can, they, can cover crops break up? And I'm not talking about radishes. That was the big thing around here. Radishes 10, yeah. 15 years ago. No, they weren't great in the hot conditions. Because they went down like a foot and a half, two feet down and, and busted up your, your compaction layer and got into your subsoil layer. Uh, can barley, you said use barley and wheat as cover crops. Can those cereal grains
1: bust up compaction? They do help with it quite a bit. They're not quite as aggressive as your tiller tradishes, but then you've got um, a lot of triticale is really good. It's a heavier root mass crop than your barley and your wheat. We use barley cause it's the most economical to get and we do so many acres of it. We do probably 75% of our acres in barley cover crops. And good. The, the cover crops is a huge benefit, but the problem you have is the cover crops can only do so much. When you get these areas that has got damage from heavy traffic, and that's what we're really, the conversation was pertaining to that day that you referred to was these, you know, the heavy traffic. Used to you could take, you know, someone go with a ripper and go 12 inches in the ground and eliminate anything. But what we're seeing is these heavy traffic areas you might have to go 30 inches in the ground. You, you may have to, you may have to actually get a, you know, that conversation that we had, was we talking about taking a bulldozer with a, um, with a construction type ripper on the back and a rock ripper, I guess you'd call it, and ripping around the edges of the fields or areas where companies had done some excavation work and done damage to the soil structure and, What we found is in those areas, we're finding compaction down 24 to 28 inches where our compaction layer is. Our traditional rippers, our traditional equipment with agriculture, we're only going to get down about 16 to 18 inches. I mean, I you know, there's a farmer I ripped at two foot in the ground. Well, if he ripped it two foot in the ground, it's because he got in a wet hole and the tractor about got stuck. And, you know, two foot deep is deep. That yep. is that is deep. So the the cover crops are a tool in the toolbox. Yep. And they are phenomenal. But if you mess it up so bad, the cover crops can't do but so much. So we're talking about the cost of
0: compaction. Um do you think that in a typical year there could be 10% more revenue by better yields? because of mitigating compaction across America. I I think we've got, I think we've got heavily packed in soils. I really do. And I think it's because of so much tillage and a huge equipment. Do you think that we're missing out on yield and we don't even know it?
1: Well, so I take your question is if we look at the, the, the U S average yield per bushel, total yield per bushel, uh, how is that affected by compaction on a total percentage across the United States? Um, if there was zero compaction issues out there, what would it increase by? That's a great question, but I, wouldn't, I would not be afraid to say 12, 14% to the total US average. Now that's a, that's a man, that's a big question, Damien
0: it's a big question and you know what, there's going to be people listening right now that are probably saying, well, well, how does he come up with that? We don't, we're just more thinking by our own farm standards. Here's what I'm thinking. We know that when you don't have porosity, when water infiltration doesn't get in, um, there's a time when it's dry and, and you get your rain and that it's like a sponge, but there's other times when you're like a little bit wet and then you're getting some runoff and it's not because your water, your, your soil is completely saturated. It's because you've got a little bit of a compaction issue, right? And some of that water gets, goes away. So there's a little bit of a loss of water resource because of compaction. And there's probably a little bit of fertility. That's not getting to where the roots are because of compaction. So can you quantify it? It's hard to do, but we know it's there. It's kind of one of those things like um, uh, how, how many volts were in that uh, lightning bolt that went over and hit the field? Hell, I don't know, but it's enough to kill you. I mean, I think it's kind of one of those things.
1: Well, I mean, you think about it, you got, you know, when you talk, you know, we talk about our equipment side, then you mentioned the nutrition side. So let's say we got, um, in our situation, we got heavy mag soles and low, low, um, low calcium. And so that calcium to mag ratio was kind of inverted to where it needed to be. And so we've been focusing for the last 15 years really hard on changing that calcium to mag ratio. We changed our lime source, we're using more gypsum, we're, do- we're doing things to increase that calcium, maintain the pH, but yet not, you know, we don't want to, we, we can't really pull the mag levels down, but uh, to a point we can, but we're trying not to buy anything to add to the mag. We want, we want to build that of mag and flocculate them soils so that we get a more pore space and more oxygen in the soil. And that allows us to help reduce compaction as well. So every area in the country has got different obstacles they face in compaction. You know, I hear about the, you know, you guys up in the Northern Midwest with y'all when your ground freezes or thaws, yeah. and uh, you know traditionally you get a 48 inch freeze and it's seed's ground up and, and that's kind of your deep rippers you know that was a thought process i don't know if that's still the thought process today I, I would think it works but here where we are we don't have a you know if we get a four inch freeze the deepest freeze i've ever seen in my lifetime was about a 12 inch depth a frost layer in the ground and um i was very young then and you just don't see that much in, in the Carolinas. But um, so you got to figure out ways to work it. There's there's just so many different things. And you. when I look at my size farms, it's easy for me to say 10 to fit. I could say 15% of my acres is affected severely by compaction.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: No question. Mm-hmm. And we go to Lee Luber's out in the Dakotas and he's got a, you know, a 600 acre field or a thousand acre field. And not, he may only have one or two acres of that 600 that's affected by compaction in the high traffic areas. So you got to look at the geographical region that the farmer's in and the landy farms and how the field lays and the traffic, you know, the traffic patterns. It's, it's a lot of variables in there, but I still say that it's, a, it's the compaction is a hidden, a hidden yield robber. It's, it's a big reducer and it's, there's a lot more money there. We, the little things is what makes us the most money and that's what adds up the most.
0: So it is a yield robber. And then the person listening to this might say, well, you know what I'm going to do, I'm just going to rip the hell out of everything. And we don't think that that's really the right thing to do either. Because if excessive ripping, excessive tillage does eventually damage the ground also, am I right?
1: I can't answer that i would think so uh, it, it that's a loaded question too because it depends on the topography of the soils and the land so you know some areas it works great in that's mm-hmm. just you know but for us in our geographical area it every bit of tillage we can eliminate is a huge plus we we do not well, we want to no-till everything we can you know some of my friends say never till but and we've tried to never till, but it, we still get those small areas that we just can't do much with. Mm-hmm. And it's just because of our field size.
0: Right. So if you had to make a choice, since we talked about uh, subsurface drip irrigation with our friends from NetFM, uh, every acre has is, is got uh, NetFM in it and you can't ever rip again. Uh, do you take that, do you take that challenge and say, fine, I'd love, I'd love that. I'll get, I'll sell my V-ripper tomorrow.
1: I'll be honest with you, Damien, on that subject. So we're, we're probably 90% dry land, non-irrigated ground and 10% irrigated ground. I would definitely be willing to go, you know, if I had 50% irrigated ground, I'd probably I'd probably get rid of the other forty percent.
0: Yeah. Uh, um, next, last question. Last question I want to ask you because this is one of the little debates we had in our tech stream a week or two ago that spurred this uh, episode idea on. I said to you, tilling twelve inches and then now tilling down twenty five inches. Maybe we event all we're doing really is is taking the compaction layer lower. And I kind of reasoned that based on back in the days of moldboard plows, a moldboard plow went what, six inches down. Uh, And then all we ended up doing year after year was we just put that big old heavy plow share at six inches or five or eight, whatever the hell you was probably about six. And that's where the whole plow layer became. And then that's when we came up with this whole idea about maybe we should be ripping below that, but eventually maybe you're just lowering the level of compaction. Do you, you disagreed, but I and I'm not sure I know. I, I more posed it, posed it as a question.
1: Your thoughts. So, the reason I disagree is you know, I was, I was, I never liked the grading business, but I did grow up with my parents in a very large grading company and um, got to work with a lot of soil engineers. On, uh, I learned a lot about soil structures and compaction because they wanted compaction. Yeah, right. You're making, because, making roads or whatever. Yeah, they're making roads and huge commercial building projects. So compaction is a big deal. And the most fascinating thing we've done was they cleaned a pond and it was just pure mud, mud bottom and there was no bottom in it. Um, and we're like, what are we going to do? And he says, well, we're going we're gonna to bridge over and I said okay, so we did a we did a, a forty eight inch lift on that muck, and it was no foundation there. They did a forty eight inch lift with that red good red clay topsoil. Um, the first thirty six inches they would not allow nothing but just the bulldozer to drive over. They did not want any compaction done whatsoever on that soil. Then after that 36 inches they put in they we rolled it in with just a truck that's what they wanted a big big dump truck to roll it in rubber tired smooth no vibrations that was a big deal and the vibrations they concerned would bring the moisture up into it and create mud which they did not want they wanted to seal that off so then they took and did a two foot lift and then started compacting at a 100% compaction every six inches all the way up. And, but what he taught me in that, I was really questioning how this was gonna work, if it was gonna stay, what what was going on, how, how could this be possible? And on our soil types, now I'm not talking about soil types in the Midwest, I'm talking about these red clay soils here in Piedmont, North Carolina. That particular situation, if we have, once you get about, I believe it was 24 inches of soil right there, it would bridge over and carry, it didn't carry the load below that much. But you gotta get big. Now you put a big 100,000 bushel grain bin up, yeah, it's gonna push, you're you're talking thousands and thousands of pounds per square inch. Mm -hmm. We're talking about combines Mm power carts running across land so you give me 24 we'll just say 30 inches of soil and that compaction layer is going to stop in that 30 inches it's not going to go below that that soil is already so heavy above it Um,
0: do you think we read you think at a certain depth we reach as much compaction as there can be because of what's already been across it or what the heaviness of the soil already
1: is I think you're close on that. The The weight of our equipment is only going to go a certain percentage of depth in the soil. Okay. Um, you know, you take a D10 dozer, a D8 dozer versus a D4 dozer, um, that D8 is going to create a much deeper soil compaction layer than that D4. But to say that, okay, if I rip down 36 inches, then my hard is going to go down to 48 inches. Um, it will not do that. And what I've seen working with soil engineers out here, now they may be certain soil types that it would do that. Now that, and that is considering the weight of the equipment staying the same above. Hmm. Now, if you increase the weight of that equipment by 50%, then you're going to expand that limit. Well, that's, uh-huh. an
0: episode, that's an episode for another day because I have my theories that eventually equipment's going to start getting smaller because, and it's going to happen pretty quickly because it can't get any bigger and I think it's going to become autonomous. That's what I wrote about in my book, by the way, and I'm going to talk about that on another episode. But while we're talking about the cost of compaction how to avoid it, I want your final thoughts. We think it's we think it's costing people money that they don't see. It's kind of a shadow. I think it, uh, you and I both agree compacted soils are probably a little bit of a shadow yield uh uh demon uh, we we don't really see it it's kind of like a windstorm you see compaction you don't see you and i both you see, agree it in it. <laughs> you see it the
1: combine you see the combine you're like yeah. damn i should have done something about this <laughs>
0: yeah right yeah well you see it when you yeah, with your yield monitor uh your closing thoughts on cost compaction you and i both agree that it's costly and we don't always see it and um we probably uh, we can't we can't control the size of equipment right now Uh, Tire pressure was one of your big recommendations. Make sure you are looking at that because that can mitigate a lot of stuff. And then obviously managing your conditions. And then you said that you are very selective about using your your deep tillage. You'll do it only where you've been loading and when you got a real problem. Any other last final thoughts on cost of compaction?
1: But be smart about how you drive through your fields, how you lay them out. Um, What you allow to drive through the fields. Yeah, there. you just don't drive all over, you know, drive, driving in patterns, do things where, you know, try to take the shortest distance out of the field, be smart about it. Cause it, it's got, it pays huge dividends.
0: Yeah. And I guess the other one, we talked about that deep tillage. It's really not a cure-all. It's not, I mean, you do it where you have to. No, no it ain't, it ain't
1: going to prevent it from happening again. It's just, get, you're just trying to fix what you've done broke. I mean, yeah. it's,
0: and then uh, I think that's probably it. By the way, if you deep tilled every single year, uh, do you think it would mitigate it? Or I think it just, you still, you're still fighting the same problem that you could it'd be better to avoid than to mitigate or than to, than to cure, right?
1: I, I would rather see more cover crops used. <laughs> that's what I, I mean. It's, it's just so good for the environment. It, I mean, that's, that's what I like. And,
0: and it's good for your soil. And having something living on that ground is good for the ground.
1: Oh, it's, it's huge for, it's huge. And it's, it's just amazing. Uh, And, you know, nutrient management, I mean, we're almost, we're going to get off on a whole nother tangent here, but those cover crops are a huge part of your nutrient management As those things decay and die out during the summer. You know, we're testing so many products now that are helping break that down and residually give that food, that nutrition to those crops throughout (laughs) the season. I think, I think you just set us up.
0: You just set us up for two future episodes, one about the size of equipment and will eventually change. And then two, all about cover crops is going to be one. And I want to bring in a couple. You said the
1: size of equipment. You said it was going to be smaller. Yeah. And I agree with you. That's the first
0: thing you've agreed with me on in almost a year of me being involved with Extreme Ag. But I appreciate oh, it his name is kevin matthews he's one of the founders of extreme ag we're talking about the cost of compaction and how to avoid it my name is damian mason check out all of our awesome content i mean you're talking about hundreds and hundreds of videos these guys have produced in the field plus we're over 100 episodes of this cutting the curve podcast you can watch it the videos or you can also just listen to it and you're out working you know it's a great resource share with a friend extreme till next time thanks for being here by the way thanks for the contribution kevin yes sir thank you Till next time, it's Cutting the Curve.
2: That's a wrap for this episode of Cutting the Curve, but there's plenty more. Check out extremeag.farm, where you can find past episodes, instructional videos, and articles to help you squeeze more profit out of your farm. Cutting the Curve is brought to you by Advanced Drainage Systems, the leader in agriculture water management solutions.